Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am here today with a very inspiring businesswoman. She has spent the majority of her career, well, pretty much all her career in the travel industry, actually, starting off at Lumpolly at the, um, the young age of 16, and then 33 years in the travel industry. And she's done some amazing roles, actually. But not only is she an incredible um, travel professional, she's also a proper international businesswoman. So gosh, she has been lived in Australia, Canada, UK, obviously, and Thailand. And during that time, she's worked for a multiple number of businesses, um, including Oz Travel, Stella, STA, where she spent a lot of time where she was the global land product director. And um, prior to after that, she was in Thailand as Group MD for Diatom Travel and now is the Managing Director of Elegant Resorts. So I am delighted to welcome Lisa Fitzel to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, Jeanette. <laughs> oh, great to see you, Lisa. Honestly, it really is um, a pleasure to, to be able to have the chance to chat with you um, because we've known each other for a few years, but certainly not 33 years. So I know I'm going to learn some new stuff about you as well when we have our conversation. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, listen, Lisa, what I think would be great is if you don't mind, as a true traditional style with these podcasts, is I always really like to hear people's sort of journey really in their own words. So if you don't mind sort of taking us back to kind of where life started for you and then just, um, you know, where you are today and anything, anything interesting along the way that you want to share, be great. Okay. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, yeah, I came from very working class beginnings um, from a tiny little village in Lancashire. So my, my dad was a farmer. Um, my mum worked in local local pubs and she was a doctor's secretary. And, um, and uh, my dad left to go to Australia. Well, we all actually emigrated to Australia um, when I was nine. Um, but mum and dad decided to split up. Dad went out, uh, went off to Australia. And, um, and then soon after that, we moved to a town um, for, um, for a few years. Um, I had, I'd say I had quite turbulent teen years, um, went to the local comprehensive. I think it was probably one of the worst schools in Lancashire. So, um, and then when I was 15, we moved back to the village that I was born in, because um, my mum actually ended up being the landlady of one of the local pubs there. So, I didn't sort of have, um, there was nobody around me that, you know, went to university and that was never even discussed or college or further education. It was just literally go to school and get a job. So, um, and I remember when I was about 14, I went into a travel agent with my mum and, um, and there was this very bubbly girl who'd just been somewhere and was just going somewhere. And I remember sat there thinking, that's what I want to do when I, you know, when I leave school probably because I wanted to escape, I would say. Um, so I was very stuck on, that's what I want to do. And I remember all these career advisors at school wanting to palm me off and work at Lancashire County Council because that's what everybody did. Um, 
anyway, there was a, a new company that had literally only been going a few years, Lum Poly. I think they had about 50 shops or something in those days. It was really early days of it. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to get a place as a YTS, um, earning £24.50 a week <laughs> the first year with day release to Bolton. And um, anyway, I loved it. I loved it. I just, it was the best job in the world for me. I, you know, love learning about new places, love meeting people. I've always been a people person. And, um, and every evening I worked pretty much most evenings behind the bar of my mum's pub collecting glasses until I was 18 and able to pull pints. And um, I used to uh, have all my brochures underneath the bar and I'd, uh, I'd be selling the holidays to everybody in the village packing my, you know, my bag full of cash and then getting the 159 bus to Preston the next day and uh, processing all the bookings. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the regional sales manager at the time, you know, trying to figure out where these sales are coming from because we were in a really bad location and we didn't get a lot of football. Um, anyway, became the top seller um, pretty much in the, in the north um, for a time. So I had my own clients and think you know the key thing for me was just learning that it's about you know getting get working hard but getting your repeat clients and being recommended and that's sort of like the recipe for any any good business to grow really um and then when I was uh 19 my dad my sister I've got an older sister she's she was 20 for her 21st he bought her a ticket to go and spend some time in Australia and I decided to go with her so I worked every, every, well, every night in the pub to save for my own ticket to go to Australia. And, um, and off we went and, you know, I ended up spending about a year and a half traveling. So traveled out via uh, California, Hawaii, uh, New Zealand, got to Australia with about $50 in my, you know, my pocket and uh, on a working holiday visa. And, uh, and yeah, just, you know, learned lots on that, on that year, really. Um, ended up working in travel again. I ended up working for a tour operator specializing in Bali and Indonesia. Um, and then we, when it was time to leave, we came back through Asia um, and came back to the UK. Uh, really wanted to work for a tour op, so worked for Jet Set in Manchester. Um, but it was a bit of a commute from where, from where I was living. And there was a new company that I'd just set up called Airline Ticket Network. Um, on the docks in Preston and um, I ended up uh, moving, go, going to work for them and, uh, and at the time when I joined they had about 10 staff, when I left they had about 150 staff. So in that five years that I was there I was, you know, was escalated into management quite quickly and uh, ended up managing about 40 staff and, and it was all about hiring, non-stop training started attending trade shows in Australia um, because that was a key area of the world that we were um, growing our business for. So at 20, you know, I was, I was gallivanting off to these trade shows. I was quite young, really. Um, and uh, anyway, I had itchy feet after a few years, um, really had the travel bug, um, just loved traveling and spent some time in Africa and India. And... Um, um, and I, bumped, I met this guy in Australia, actually, on a, on, a, on a work trip, and he owned his own luxury travel company, and he was looking for a general manager. So I went and had a chat and interview with him, ended up moving down to the Cotswolds, um, working there for a few years. It was tailor-made travel, 
Um, and at the time we had about nine staff. Um, and during the three years that I, I was there, we grew it to 30. Um, and, you know, I was just doing everything. It was a small company. So we, we, we looked at, you know, ultimately they were Australia, Australasia specialist, um, but there wasn't, uh, the, the issue we had was cash flow in the summer months. So we brought on Canada and Africa and lots of other new destinations. Um, and it was really successful. I just worked 24-7. I was a complete workaholic um, and had a few burnouts. And, and I met this lovely Kiwi boy one day and um, we got together and he was going off traveling to South America. So uh, at this stage, I was, I was 28. They, they made me a director at TaylorMade Travel when I was 25. So, um, and I, I was you know, offered equity to stay. So in some ways, if I hadn't have left, then, you know, I probably would be a richer person um, from a financial point of view, but I wouldn't change it for anything because I'm rich in memories. Um, so um, decided to follow, follow the Kiwi boy and we spent a year um, traveling from Mexico down to Chile. So it was literally like um, the great, I think is it called the great race on TV where, you know, they they go and they're on very short budgets, $10 a day. That was us. We were on the chicken buses, $20 a day. Um, <laughs> it was amazing, really amazing. Had the most amazing experiences. We Meeting lots of people that you'd never normally meet. Um, getting out of sticky situations every now and again. Um, learning a bit of Spanish, doing a bit of volunteering. Um, and then <clears throat> we um, decided to go, stopped in New Zealand for a bit, went, ended up back in Australia. and then. Um, I ended up spending about five years in Australia. So I worked for the Intercontinental Hotel for a year and just loved the hotel life and the selling, but didn't like the corporate culture there at the time. Um, so ended up sort of quitting without anything, anywhere to go. And I was quite sort of emotional, I would say, in those years. Um, and, uh, and the next day I got a job with um, one of my clients. Um, they had a, a, a DMC, so an inbound tour operator. And um, it, was, it was their product manager job. But they also wanted me to grow all their business um, outside of um, the US and Canada. So it was a Canadian-owned company, and we were their ground handler for the owner, basically. Um, and he tried to get into the UK Europe market for a number of years, but um, it was very difficult without the networks. So, um, and because I'd been a product manager, because I, you know, I'd understood the product intimately, um, I knew that there was a gap in the market at the time for self-drive programs. So I, I developed all these self-drive self-drive programs across Australia and New Zealand, and sold them to you know all the people i knew in the uk um, and we doubled our business so it was um it was really successful and um scott and i decided to get married in sydney um and then soon after that the owner of that operator um go away travel was the name um bruce hodge he um offered me a job in toronto in canada and uh, we just you know thought why not <laughs> we, we've been here five years let's try somewhere else um, so off we went um, and we got to Canada and SARS hit. So it was like COVID Mark 1, but on a lesser scale. Yeah. Um, and the whole of Toronto would shut down um, and literally people just didn't travel for six months. 
um, lots of redundancies. Um, we all had pay cuts. The job that my husband had lined up um, was gone overnight. Um, so it was really tough. It was one of those decisions where we had this lovely life in Australia. We left in, you know, 25 degrees and we arrived in Toronto in minus 25 degrees. <laughs> um, and then actually being a lot poorer, um, you know, financially, we thought we'd get ahead. We just got married. I was getting a promotion. He got this nice job. Didn't quite work out like that. Um, but it ended up being uh, one of the best years of our lives, actually. We just... Um, we you know we cycled everywhere we started we ran we ended up with lots of friends um had a great work-life balance um it was you know really really great um and then um a, a, a one of my clients who i um knew when i was working for go away in australia he just got promoted at tui um specialist tour operators john constable looking after oz travel and jet save and thompson worldwide and when he, the day he got promoted, he rang me and said, you know, I want you to come over and, and be my head of product. So, and we'd been, only been in Toronto a few months at that stage. And I said, I can't, can't do anything. I've got to, you know, give Bruce, the owner, at least two years. Um, so really loved the guy that I worked for. And I was very loyal to making sure that, you know, I gave him some good value before I left. So um, came back to the UK um, to work for John eventually, two years after we'd been in Toronto. Um, and yeah, and then I was at TUI for um, probably about four years, four or five years. Um, had the best, best first 18 months, probably one of the best in my life. Just an amazing culture, um, really high performing team. We were winning every war going. We were just growing the business. It was just fantastic. And then John got headhunted to STA. Um, I was pregnant. So, and I had my baby's back to back with, you know, 12 months apart, basically. So, um, so I, I stayed at TUI and um, during that time it was a bit chaotic because um, TUI and First Choice were merging. Um, but before TUI and First Choice merged, elements of our division merged with other parts of TUI and it was all a bit turbulent really. Um, but I learned loads and loads and loads and, you know, went on, I remember going on leadership course that was just bit life-changing for me and um, getting lots of added responsibilities um, so lots of learnings but um, it you know it was generally it was a very difficult time so I knew I needed to leave um, so then I had a year on my own and did a bit of work for Tourism Australia and Stella um, and then eventually followed John again to STA um, and I was there for the group, actually, for nearly 10 years, all in all. So, you know, I had um, about six years in my role at STA, Global Product Director. So um, I think when I started, we, we did about 100 million of land sales. And when I left, we did 300 million. So we really grew it um, massively over that period. Um, and again, just an amazing team. It was just loved my time there. But I had probably one of my biggest lessons ever when I was there. And that was um, after I'd been there about 18 months, I was juggling this global role where I was literally overseas every month. I was on long haul somewhere every month. And I had two babies at home. They were two and three who didn't sleep <laughs> for many years. And, um, and I, I just, I think I just had a major burnout. I got meningitis. Um, I was really sick. Uh, I could have died. It was a real life-changing moment for me, um, and I, I actually 
didn't work for six months. Um, and it was the start of me looking at my life and doing things differently as a result of that. And uh, eventually I went back to work. Um, STA was super supportive and gradually um, worked back up into that role. And actually the last sort of couple of years after I got sick were probably the easiest for me as a leader because I learned to let go and trust my team. And, you know, I was just a lot more grounded and calm because I was working on myself so much more. And, um, uh, and then after that, I got offered this opportunity in Bangkok. So the, there was a sister company, same owners, Deaton Travel, been going for um, about 70 years. They were one of the biggest inbound tour operators across Asia back in the day. Um, but they'd lost their way and they'd had about six years of quite significant losses. So, um, so I got offered the position to go out there and, and run that. Um, so it was my first MD role. Um, we had 15 um, offices. We operated in 10 countries and had 600 staff. And uh, so it was quite significant. <laughs> and I was pretty much there on my own. Um, you know, it was, it, you know, it was a, it was a massive change um, from being part of this big wheel of a, a global company um, and it, that was just an amazing experience one of the hardest of my life um, I learned you know so much so many challenges I mean the week after I arrived there was bombs that were going off in the next street to me um, and we had you know clients staying in hotels next door to the bomb area and so there was lots of crisis management I was dealing with corruption um, it was very much a man's world. Um, you know, we had lots of sticky situations with, you know, um, dealing with sort of authorities and things. Um, and it seemed like the impossible. It was almost a sinking ship and it felt like every day I had a crisis to manage. Um, but we managed to turn, turn around the, the losses by about 70%. So it wasn't um, break even, but it wasn't far off. Um, and at that stage, we then got an opportunity to buy another tour operator. Who wants to buy into the business and potentially that would make it profitable because he'd move all his business into the, the DMC. So um, so it came to an end um, when he he bought into it. Um, so I'd been there about two and a half years and I had another six months in Asia before coming home. Um, and then I've now been here at Elegant Resorts for two and a half years um, in Chester, back up north. <laughs> that's that's the full circle. I hope that's long. <laughs> no, fantastic. Oh my gosh, there's so much in here. And I love that. You know, you started off up north. You've been you've been all the way around the world and now you're back up north, which is um this is a nice yeah. symmetry to that, isn't there, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> God, there's, uh, there's so many things I want to discuss with you, Lisa, because there's, there's stacks in here in, in kind of your journey. Um, one of the things that really sticks out as you were talking for me was was just sort of this well, a few things really, but one in particular is this sort of resilience, you know, to sort of be able to throw yourself into any situation, you know, and the title of this podcast is Brave, Bold, Brilliant. And, um, you know, which clearly you are, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation. <laughs> but, um, but just, you know, that, that the number of changes and the, the scenarios where you've said, I'll give it a go and, and just kind of throwing yourself into a lot of these opportunities that kind of either came your way or you created. Where do you think that that kind of comes from, that, that resilience and that tenacity? You know, I think I, I always have this, it's like, a, it, it, I don't know, it's like a bit of a mantra really of 
don't ever turn an opportunity down. Mm. You know, I have a deep desire to just, you only live once. So, you know, don't ever turn anything down. Um, Whether that's, you know, you meet somebody new and they want to, they want to meet up or, you know, whether, you know, something really simple like that when you're starting again in a new country to let's move countries again. Um, It just feels like an opportunity. And I just love growing. You know, I, I didn't go to uni. I didn't have any further education. And I've just learned everything as I've, as I've been on the job. And I just love growing. And I, I've, I've never sat still. So there's never... It, when I got offered the job in Asia, it was probably the first point in my life that I thought the job was starting to feel a bit easy. Where if you, if you look at, you know, my average time, three or four years somewhere... I've been ready to jump because I've been ready to grow again. So, you know, and I feel like I've really been able to do that in, in everything that I've done really. So yeah, mm. don't miss out. <laughs> You've got FOMO, FOMO. <laughs> Fear of missing out. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's clear, but it's clearly driven you forward, right? Which is great because you've just, as you say, you never miss an opportunity and say yes and, and then just kind of give it your best shot really. And I think that's something yeah. that's definitely is, it's really stands out when you talk through all the roles you've had and the different places you've lived, et cetera. And you, you yeah. talked about, you know, that you didn't go to uni and, you, you know, you sort of left school and got stuck in right and and i think you know that's that that's a great that's a great path you know a lot of people listening here sometimes they might think oh gosh do you have to have gone to university or done something like that and actually you know your testament that you absolutely don't have to you know because you can learn and develop and grow and um, just as just as well um you know by by taking a, a different path like you did but did you th- did you feel that at all in your as you were progressing and sort of becoming more senior in your career did you ever think like you know oh my I haven't been to university and does is that a problem or did you just sort of go well that's the way it is and actually I'm very comfortable in my own shoes yeah no I definitely in my 20s I definitely had a bit of a chip on my shoulder with it when I got exposed to being with more senior people um I just yeah I felt really um I'd struggled with imposter syndrome and uh which I know you've spoken about and you know I just but in some ways, I, I, yeah, I, I had a problem with it myself. You know, I just didn't feel good enough, really, you know, um, or as good as them because I wasn't as articulate or, you know, I didn't have lots of degrees and things like that. But I, I think I soon realized that that's, you know, that's just my problem, I, you know, not anyone else's. I've just got to sort that out in, in my own head. And, um, you know, and I, I've worked a lot on self-doubt and my own positivity and, I recognized that's what I was doing to myself. So, um, so I just, I just didn't let it get me down really. So, yeah. And, and, and listen, I mean, as we, as, I mean, we've spoke about this before, haven't we? And around the whole imposter syndrome and when you actually talk to most people, most people, 70% of people have, have kind of had similar feelings for whatever reason. And, you know, I think if you channel it in the right way, like, like you did, it sort of propelled you forward as well. It did, it did. I mean, I definitely, it would give me more fire in my belly, you know, so if I really felt somebody was looking down on me, because I used to have a really thick Lancashire accent, it was like, right, like that, love, you know? I mean, my, my manager at Mumpoly gave me elocution lessons, because it was a proper farmer's accent, you know, <laughs> and um, I, so I, I just felt very working class, and, you know, not good enough, and, and all of that, but but anybody that I did feel was judging me, 
Um, Because I've always been good with people and good at, you know, figuring things out with people. Um, I would almost put two fingers up and think, well, watch me then. (laughs) So do you know what I mean? So if if anything, it gave me more, more of a drive to succeed, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, you know, you th- you, when you look at what a lot of the roles that you've done, even way back when you were, when you were at Lumpart, I love the fact you were selling holidays behind the, pub, behind the bar. I think that's great. I love that. Um, but, but actually, very entrepreneurial. You know, if you think about the things that you've done, you've, you've pivoted, you've changed, you know, you've been selling. And, and actually, even though some of the roles you've done have been in the corporate world, you've also worked for some smaller businesses as well, haven't you? So that sort of ability to be able to just be quite creative and, and do what needs to get done to, to kind of, you know, grow the business. So did you, I mean, where does that entrepreneurial cool. aspect come from, Lisa, do you think? Um. You know, I, I think, because all, all besides Lumpolly, which really was, you know, my first sort of two, three years of my life, you know, up until I was um, at TUI in my mid-30s, I worked for, you know, entrepreneurs. You know, it was owner-operated um, travel companies. So there was um, decisions were made very quickly and you had to do what you needed to do to survive or grow or, you know. And I remember my time at... Um, uh, uh, Taylor Mays, and um, you know the owners hadn't really had a manager that they could really trust, and they'd had that business for ten years. It some years they'd nudged a profit, some they hadn't. You know they just about broke even. It never really made a lot of money, um, and they really trusted me. And you know I remember them going off for like the first sort of six week holiday that they'd ever that they'd even had a holiday in ten years, and give me their business to to run. Um, and I was so young and I felt completely responsible. You know, I would be, you know, my eyes would be across everything from, you know, what the bank balance was to needing to, you know, take the bins out at the end of the day or whatever, stamp, you know, stamp the brochures, write the brochure copy. I was literally doing everything. Um, and I just loved it. I've I, I thrived in it, really. Um, so I, I think that grounding of working for owner operators from the grassroots, sort of doing a bit of everything, is really good because it, it's. I've always treated every company I've worked for as my own. Mm. I think when I went to Tui, I found that incredibly intimidating, being you know some very you know exposed to some very senior leaders who were very well educated, and it was really quite corporate. And I really struggled with my own, you know, self-doubt, really. I, I felt, uh, but then, I, you know, over time, I realized that actually I really knew what I was doing. <laughs> so I got more and more confident and, um, and I, less intimidated by it as, as I stayed there, really. So, yeah, and, it, and I learned loads, um, you know, I, I guess I, you know, better at presenting, better at, doing business cases and doing all of the, you know, the things that you do in a, in a, in a big sort of corporate business where before that it was seat of the pants, sort of you do whatever you've got to do, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's a great combination to have had, isn't it, over the years? Because of course, where you are now, I mean, the last two, last couple of roles you've had full P&L accountability, haven't you, end to end. And I suppose, you know, you, you've got that entrepreneurial spirit from all of the experience you had probably in your more, you know, when you were in your younger, younger years 
but you've but you've also got that kind of corporate structure discipline and rigor that you get with when you work with a company like two it's sort of like the best of both worlds really so so you're the you're the full package aren't you lisa really oh <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> and by the way your accent my my accent is far more northern than yours <laughs> it, it's only because i've moved around and people didn't understand me so you know they literally didn't understand me so i had to finish my words <laughs> so it's changed a lot over the years so yeah. oh, but there's but there's a lot of there's a lot of value in this because people listening sometimes i think they see they see an outward image of someone don't they they see you know the the, the job title the position you know, how you look, how you carry yourself. And, and people judge, don't they? They always judge. Everyone judges. Yeah, um, yeah. But what people don't always realize is the struggles that have gone on, you know, to get to that point. And also, you know, the fact that you're talking really openly around, you know, imposter syndrome and that, you, you know, you felt like you had to adapt to try and fit in and all that kind of stuff, I think is, is very heartwarming for people that are listening because it just shows that we all have these little gremlins and foibles and voices in our yeah. heads and, and it's how you deal with it that really takes you forward isn't it and yeah, let it hold you back absolutely yeah 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 can we talk a little bit about um about when you when you sort of said about the burnout lisa and you got obviously got very very poorly when you had your your meningitis and that must have been a terribly scary time for you and scott and and of course you had the girls then didn't you you had the did yeah you have the baby yeah, I did. yeah they were really little but yeah but, so, you know, you, you're there with your family and, and you're obviously given everything to the business, burnt out, you know, got very, very sick. And you said that was a real sort of pivotal point in your life. Can you just talk about how that sort of manifested and how you then sort of took stock and, and you know, put steps in place to, to get a bit more of a, of a sort of a healthy balance and, and sort of got yourself back on track, if you like? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think my whole life before that major burnout, so I was 39 then, so it's 10 years ago, mm. you know, I had burnout. It might have been tonsillitis or it might have been this, or might, I would just literally, I would, you know, work the craziest hours, you know, weekends. I loved my job so much and I, I you know, I just loved it. But I was very attached to it as an identity thing too. You know, that, that was the person I was, you know, Lisa from. Taylor made Lisa from Tui. Um, and I, you know, I had lots of friends and I, I had social life as well, but work was, came before everything. And I think having children was a really difficult thing in terms of you can't put anything before your kids. Your kids are the most important thing. And I really struggled with, with the whole process really of, you know, my career was so important to me, but I needed to be a great mom. And and actually, I realise now that I had a lot of negative thoughts going on. So, you know, the drive to get me to where I got to in my career at the time was driven by a lot of negative thoughts, a lot of you're not good enough and you need to work harder and all of those things. And, um, and then I had the same thing going on as a mother. You know, you're not dropping school dates anymore, so you're not good mum and all of that stuff. Um, so I know that's why it happened, because I literally gave up. My body just gave up. Um, and I, I reached a really low point. So I was, had a lot of after effects from the meningitis. So a lot of pain in my head and my spine, um, massive fatigue. And I'd have days where I'd start to feel like I was getting better. And then the next day I'd be back down again. Um, so, and every week I'd say, I'd say to my boss, I, I should be all right for next week. And, and I never was, because I wouldn't accept 
to the fact I was properly ill and this is quite serious because um, I've always done that too you know I can I'm ill but I still work and um, so I, I, so that was a journey in itself and I was given sort of you know medication for the pain and I just felt like a zombie I just felt you know like I, I couldn't feel my body or anything hated it hated taking I hate taking medication anyway and uh, I always go down more of a sort of holistic approach in, in things and um, and the doctor said you know this isn't working for you Lisa uh, there's a new um, thing we're trying in the NHS and it's um, it's a mindfulness course and it was mindfulness for stress reduction or something it was a program written by John Kabat-Zinn who's wrote a whole load of books on mindfulness and He's actually even created a TV channel in, in the States that is in hospitals um, to, to help teach people how to meditate and how to calm down. Because if you think about it, the more you're stressed about something, the worse that's going to be for your health in lots of ways. So, you know, there's loads of um, scientific data to show that uh, meditation, mindfulness, it, you know, creates amazing new neural pathways in your brain and um, and just huge benefits, really. So she sent me off on this course, and it was um, it was part, um, you know, doing meditation. You got a CD at the time, and you did a <laughs> seems ages ago. <laughs> um, you did you you know you needed to do your meditation every day, write down how you felt afterwards, um, and then you had a group counselling session every week. And and the people on the course, it was a six week course. They were all there for different things. So if somebody had had a car accident and really struggled getting over the, um, um, you know, the things that they, they got from that. And then you had some people with mental health um, issues and lo lots of different things, really. Um, and anyway, that was the starting point, really, because it, it, it taught me to accept that, that's, that I have been ill and it, I might not have my old life back and I might need to create a new life. And um, and then I got some help from the Meningitis Trust, um, who um, is an amazing organization. And because a lot of people have these huge after effects from meningitis, you know, they lose hearing and all sorts of things. Mm. It's not really recognized that there is, there is after effects. So the trust really helps people. So I had some counseling, never had any counseling in my life and um, wish that I'd done it like 10 years earlier, you know. And it was so good. I, I, it made me really look at myself and think, why, why do I work myself so hard? Why, why am I giving myself a hard time? And, and really look within myself, really, to, to what got me there in the first place. Because I, you know, made a pact to myself that, you know, I've got a second chance now. So I can live my life differently and um, with ease rather than, you know. And I think I was like flogging myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I, I realized that that's not the way to go you know and um and I, I was probably carrying people with me wherever I was up a mountain because they were mountains the I was getting right we've got this decline we need to do this and you know that's a hard way of doing it where actually you know if you if you can you know build a, a great team that you trust and empower them it becomes a lot easier because they're with you on the journey um, you're all going up together rather than you, you're hauling them up, you know? So, so that's really what I learned from it. But I learned, that's what I learned from it from a work perspective. But I learned so much about it, from, about myself and how I wanted to live my life and, you know, and, and to be kind to myself and um, to love myself and all of those very basic things that, you know, I wasn't doing 
really. So it was the best thing that ever happened to me in lots of ways. Yeah, wow, that, that's incredible. Um, and again, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people in, in particular right now, you know, feeling quite stressed and, and quite anxious about, you know, either the external environment or what's happening in their own personal lives. And I think it, it is sometimes, hopefully it does for other people, it doesn't come to something quite so critical. Um, but, but, you know, as you say, thank God you kind of, it did in a way because it's made you readdress pretty much probably every aspect of your, of yeah. your life and approach to yeah. business and, and what have you as well. Which... Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I, I'm a bit of a wellness junkie now. I mean, I love anything to do with wellness. Um, the last five years, um, I've gone off away with a friend for a wellness retreat for a, a week and um, done all sorts of different things really, but just working on yourself and, you know, and your mind as well as everything else and um, I think the big learning really is you know you, if you don't invest that time in yourself um, to look after yourself then you know you, you're not going to be as good for everyone else around you but as I think especially as women we have this massive guilt to allow ourselves to invest that time in ourselves um, especially as a, a working mum you know I wouldn't I was I was relatively fit before I had kids I was quite into running and cycling but I, I wouldn't allow myself to go for a run because I, I, I'm working. I haven't got enough time with the kids, you know, so that's what was going on in my head. But if I'd actually made that time, then I probably would have been a better mum for it, you know. So, so I'm always lecturing people about that. <laughs> so, um, and the last, you know, he at, at Elegant Resorts and um, um, at Deaton, we, you know, we created a, did quite a lot at Deaton really because, you know, d- dealing with different cultures, they... A lot of the staff just, um, they sleep underneath their desk at lunchtime. <laughs> it's a cultural thing. Mm. The lights go dim and they, they either put something over their head and sleep on, their, on, on the desk or they get underneath the thing. And I, I was like, this is, you know, and I had to change my mindset to be open about their culture. And because I traveled a lot, I could do that um, rather than coming in as a European and saying, you can't sleep at your desk anymore. Well, that actually helps them be really productive in the afternoon if they do that. It's part mm. of their So, you know, I created um, an area. I mean, there were so many different offices, but the main office in, at Deaton, we had like a chill-out area and people could just actually go and have a sleep there. Um, and there was nowhere for them to eat together. Um, so they were eating outside under the shade, um, super hot. So we, we created an area. And we actually saved loads of money because we had two floors, made it into one, but created this lovely culture and, and atmosphere and you know areas for, for the staff and to, you know to feel better and thrive and I really believe in that I think you know you really look after your people and they'll thrive as a, as a result of it so um, yeah elegant we have yoga and um, we have a yoga teacher that comes or used to come before covid but um, <laughs> And we have a chill out room where you can actually go and have a little sleep because again, we had a couple of mums going to the car park and having a sleep at lunchtime. So, you know, rather you just go and do that, have 20 minutes cat nap and then you're going to be good for the afternoon and that's only going to help you and the company really, you know. Yeah. 
And I guess because you, you, you've kind of, through personal experience, know how, how important this stuff is. Um, but I think that makes you um, an even stronger leader because you're very in tune with your team and what's needed. And, and it is about kind of being aware of those things, isn't it? Rather than just thinking, actually, you know, I've always done it this way in the past. You know, when you were in, in Thailand, as you say, Asian culture is totally different. I and mean, it was the same for me when I was in India or, or Russia. You have to adapt. You can't just go in and expect a Western European approach to work, you know, because no, you're, you're doesn't work. You just yeah. get resistance. So you, you have to, you're the one that has to flex and be, and be open-minded really. So yeah, well, it sounds like you, you, that, that whole kind of turning point for you with the illness, ironically, has made you a much stronger, more balanced, more calm, uh, and ultimately a better leader, better mum, better wife, better friend, better daughter, you know, it's... <laughs> So, yeah well I try <laughs> I try I mean I still work on it all the time because I have a natural tendency to gallop off um, because I like I am fast-paced and yeah. like to run at 100 miles an hour and stuff like that but um but I do consciously work on it every day um yeah, yeah so I think that's great advice though for people for people listening you know and, I, and I, I'm the same as you you know I think sort of your well-being and fitness you know if I don't train every day I just don't feel I just I just don't feel on my game you know I, I need that release and, and I think you're right there's something around sort of in particular being a woman and almost giving yourself the permission to do it yeah. that, that it's not being selfish it's actually the opposite it's it's making sure that you're in good shape so that you can be in best the best shape possible for everyone else um and I think that that is great advice be kind to yourself love yourself as you said yeah. earlier um yes that's that's great so so let's just talk a little bit about um about all of the businesses a lot of what you've done has been growth or turnaround yes Yes. you're not really one for just sitting and ticking over are you no (laughs) no no I'm not I've never ever joined a company that is is, it's been easy but then maybe I've I'm the one that's created the hardships um no I enjoy that. I love it. I love to join some something and then leave knowing that I've made a significant difference. You know, I, I, I really do. And I, I just don't want to stop growing and learning and, you know, I, I don't necessarily want an easy life. So, uh, yeah, well, you certainly haven't got an easy. Well, you, there's lots of lots of in your in your previous career examples where you've not you've definitely not taken the easy route. And of course, yeah. right now, um, you know, I mean, we've we've both spent most of our career, well, spent most of my career in the travel industry, and for you, pretty much all of your your career in the travel industry. And it's tough right now, isn't it? So, I mean, I think let's just talk a little bit around kind of resilience and how you're having to adapt right now, Lisa, with with everything that's going on because the travel industry is having a very tough time with COVID. As, as our other sectors but I think travel in particular um, yeah. so, so how is how is it now with the business and, and kind of what you're having to do to pivot change adapt yeah I mean it's been non-stop obviously since I mean it you know I thrive in a crisis or a challenge I have to say so you know I although it's really tough um I feel almost honored that I'm able to lead a company during probably hopefully the most turbulent time in the history of the travel industry. Hopefully we'll never have to go through anything like this again. You know? um, but yeah, you've just, you know, you've got to focus in on, because a lot of people can get really down about it and, and really low and um, pessimistic and 
And I, I just think, you know, we just have to focus on what we can control, what we can actually do. So, you know, it's bringing in all your costs. You know, you've got to, you've, cash is king, you know, in these situations and absolutely managing that to the hill and um, reshaping your business so that you can weather that storm and communicating really clearly throughout it um, to your customers and to your staff as well. Um, so, you know, that, that's pretty much the, you know, the model that we've been, you know, using throughout. And, um, but yeah, no, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we're lucky enough that we've got um, owners that are pretty financially, you know, they're very financially secure. So we'll, you know, we'll get through it. Um, but, um, but at the same time, we need to be very responsible about how we get through it and limit our losses the, the most that we can really. Mm. So, but yeah, no, it's it, it's uh, it's ongoing, um, you know, daily daily problems really. So we've managed to get people travelling again in July and August, but in some cases we maybe changed their holidays four times. You know, mm. so <laughs> they were going to Mallorca, then that changed, then Portugal, that changed. You know, so uh, it it was crazy. But then I say to you know the, the staff here, it's a great opportunity for us to actually connect with our customers even more. Because, you know, holding their hands through all of this navigation of getting away or whether we're refunding the holiday or cancelling it, it, it builds the relationship even more. So, and I feel like we've handled it really, really well with our travel agent partners and our customers. So, you know, I, I feel that we'll benefit from that in the long term. Um, because you handle things in that crisis as well, isn't it? And not losing your cool. You know, it's very easy to just say, no, nope, you can't you know, nobody can have anything because we just need to, you know, protect our business cash or whatever. But sometimes you, you know, you just, you need to do the right thing really. Yeah, no, I think that, I mean, that's absolutely spot on and I know you're doing a great job and, but it's, it, 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 it is, it is tough, but it's one day at a time, isn't it really? And like you say, focus on what you can, can control and where you can influence and try not to worry about everything else that's going on yeah. around and, yeah. and, and at a time like that, Lisa, I mean, I know you're, you're pretty big on having certain people through your career and your life that has sort of given you inspiration, you know, whether it was a formal mentor or just kind of old bosses. Um, how, how important has that been for you, do you think, in terms of, you know, helping you develop as a leader or as a, as a person, the, the role of mentors? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, virtually every job that I've had, I've had, you know, I mean, I've been so lucky. I've had such incredible bosses really um and i'm still in touch with them all you know in one way or another and it's there's not any official mentoring sessions or anything like that i can call upon people and you know we can compare stuff a lot of them are still running travel companies so so i have a really good network of people that i can just you know bounce things across and i'm thinking this is how we're going to do things how are you doing you know things like that but um but yeah no i've had so many different mentors but and they've all taught me so many different things you know so it's it, different times of my life you know so um i think it's really really important so and and also surrounding yourself i mean outside of work as well with people that so besides the business mentoring i've got friends in my life that i've just really connected with some some somewhere along the journey um, and they're really important to me as well, you know, and hopefully I am to them because I can help them in their lives. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, so I've got a fantastic network of people. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's so key, isn't it? Because I think, especially when, when you're dealing with difficult times, like, like we all are at the moment, you know, gosh, gosh, if you listen to the news or there are certain people, you know, oh gosh, end of the world is nigh. And of course it's tough, but if you're, if that's all you're hearing, that can really bring you down. Whereas if you're at least having conversations, constructive conversations or bouncing ideas around or creatively, how can we, you know, do the best we can in this situation? It's a very different slant, isn't it? Than, everything's gone to gone to gone to ratchet and actually you know <laughs> we're all doomed um, yeah. so it's important isn't it to keep your energy high i think it, with those, those yeah. people and get that headspace as well you know so I, i'll often say to my team you know if it's all getting too much for them they're having a really bad day then just turn it off go for a walk just connect with nature get get some fresh air um do what you need to do because otherwise you're overwhelmed by stuff going on in your head and you're not going to be productive anyway. So just take the time to just stop, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, I walk every single morning. So, you know, I take the dog for a walk in the forest and I don't compromise that really. Um, some mornings, you know, if I, if I don't feel like doing that, I'll, I, and I do yoga as well. So some mornings it might be, I just need to do some yoga this morning because I'm feeling really stressed. So, um, but I generally won't start work until I've done that. So that I'm, I'm together and focused and calm before the day starts. So my morning routine is really key for me. So, and then I'm generally fine throughout the day then, you know, yes. might have to go space at the end of the day, but yeah. you just have to manage it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Set yourself up for the best day you possibly can. I think I think that's great advice yeah. for sure. And yeah. talking about talking about advice, Lisa, what's the, uh, what's the, the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Pace over perfection was a good one. Um, that's a John Constable one. So that's who I work for at, at 2E and STA. Mm. Very fast. Fastest person I've ever known. Um, highly dynamic. Um, and I feel that I'm fast, but he's faster. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I think that's right, really. You know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to drive things. You've got to get things going. Um, you know, you can't sit still. If you sit still, you'll die in business. You know, people will, will say that you need to evolve. You need to constantly, you know, um, move yourself forward, really. Um, and that, that you will make mistakes, um, but at least you've moved forward and at least you're, you, you're growing it. So, I remember when I got to Asia and it was overwhelming the amount of change that we needed to bring in there. And, you know, when it came to sort of like the people and I really wanted time to get to know everybody and, um, and they, you know, John was very much, you know, you just, you know, do it, do it, do it, you know, and, and he was, he was right. Cause you go with your, your gut feeling about things is often right. And sometimes you can, you can stop and, want more time before you make a decision but so yeah so that's that's always been really good advice yeah no that's great i love that yeah it's almost yeah just get out there get a get a minimal viable product out there and tweak it afterwards but make a start because otherwise yeah. perfection doesn't exist anyway does it at the end of the day no i mean i think it is very it's very much a uk thing because because a german wouldn't do pace over perfection <laughs> they would want to or a swiss they'd want to have things you know completely analyzed to the t before they implement which i really respect as well so i'm not saying that that 
my way or the UK way is the right way, but it works for me and that's just who I am. Um, but I, I can see how in different cultures that, you know, they don't like that at all. And, and for me being a leader, they don't like my way of doing that because it's like, oh, we've got no time to, you know. Mm. Yeah, you've got to work with that as well. You, you need to learn how far to push people, you know, how far to push them and push those boundaries. So, yeah. No, that's great. And what about the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, just, you know, it's a difficult one. This this is the only one that I really struggled to think of. But I think it's just advice of, you know, don't do it. Um, when I have been given opportunities, um, moving countries, oh, do you really want to do that now? You're really settled. You've got kids. You, don't, you know, lots of advice like that. Um, I knew in my gut that I would never regret it because, and I've to people who wanted to go traveling or or emigrate you know you'll never you'll never look you, you know you never make a mistake doing it because you can always come back so and the worst case scenario you go in a few years you come back but jesus what you learn in that time about yourself and the people you meet and everything is phenomenal because you know if you stay in one place you, you've got less chance of growing as much as doing something drastic like moving countries or going traveling you know so yeah, yeah. fantastic <laughs> that's great so i've got a couple of quick fire questions if i may these are quick fire lisa so you know okay. we'll see what comes <laughs> out um so would you say you're night in or night out uh night out yeah night out so but that you know changes at times but, <laughs> but i'm definitely more social for sure yeah brilliant um would you say you're more of a saver or a spender spender <laughs> i know that from first-hand experience of a very very heavy retail shopping experience in bank yeah. Yeah. yeah i think you might be a spender too Jeanette. <laughs> i like i like to say the mature me is an investor and yes. um, the more yeah. enjoying the moment is a spender yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and given given how much you how much time you spent overseas with all of the traveling and being you know based in different different countries um would you say are you uk or overseas Oh, I'm definitely UK. I love the UK. And I'll, I'll just wax lyrical to people about how wonderful this country is. And they'll look at me like I'm a lunatic. But you could live in Australia, but you could live here. And you, the more you travel, the more you learn that we're actually, we're living in a pretty amazing place, actually. Um, and, and to be fair, wherever you are, it's what you make of it. So you, you can be happy anywhere. It's what you make of it. I, I love the UK. Yeah, definitely. I'll always be here. Maybe I'll go off and do traveling bits here and there because I'll always be a traveler. Um, and I definitely want to do a really big trip later on in life, you know, like a overland to Australia or something crazy. Um, so I'd like to be a 70 year old backpacker. <laughs> staying in nicer places than hostels, but you know. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Well, what, what the perfect way for the, the, to finish the last question. But where can people find you, Lisa? Um, just LinkedIn. So Lisa Fitzell, LinkedIn. Um, um, I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook. 
all underneath itself. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Oh, well, honestly, Lisa, thank you. It's been such a joy chatting with you. You've got so much experience and I know that, you know, everyone listening is going to really appreciate just how candid and open and a lot of the things you've experienced and gone through yourself is just going to be massively helpful for others listening. So thank you so much for being brave, bold and brilliant. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs>